0: The opinions expressed on this show are those of the guests and hosts, and do not necessarily represent those of Funeral Radio's management or sponsors. Welcome to A Good Goodbye, with certified thanatologist Gail Rubin. She says, talking about sex won't make you pregnant, talking about funerals won't make you dead. Brought to you by Funeral Radio, and now your host gail rubin
1: welcome to today's program i'm gail rubin the doyen of death and i'm very pleased to have with me today karen kaplan she is a hospice chaplain so we call you chaplain kaplan that's right <laughs> welcome karen uh karen uh, is the author of encountering the edge what people told me before they died and um Karen, you're you're a rabbi as well as a chaplain, or you were a yes. rabbi before you were a chaplain.
0: That's right. I guess they kind of intersect, and I'm one of the first female ordained rabbis. Really? In, in uh, conservative or reform? Re- reform. I'm one of the first of 200 female rabbis in the world.
1: Congratulations. I'm honored to be speaking with you. Oh,
0: please. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So what drew you to hospice work? And uh, I know you write about it in Encountering the Edge a bit, but uh, for our listeners, how did
0: you make that transition? Well, I've always been very comfortable with being with people when they were in crisis of any kind, and that's called offering pastoral care. So I was always most interested in that aspect of being a clergywoman and felt most comfortable in the of doing it. And whenever I do something like that, being with a person at a special moment in their lives, it's very intimate and poignant. And people share all kinds of details with me that they might not even share with their own families. So it's quite a privilege, and it's very interesting to see what people come up with.
1: And this, this book is really quite a uh, a close look at the inner workings of hospice care, um, and I found in a number of the talks that I give, I just assume people know what hospice is all about. But uh, just the other day, I gave a talk and was uh, somebody raised their hand and said, could you please uh, define what hospice and palliative care is? So uh, maybe you could help us out on, on that.
0: No, certainly. It really is surprising that people are not aware of it. Because so many people say to me, oh, I have an aunt on hospice or my mother was on hospice. And then the other problem, too, is that um, there are lots of lots of misinformation about what hospice is. It's not saying giving up or um, cutting life short or anything like that. It's really just a way to manage pain, which is the most important thing, make for the highest quality of life that one would have toward the end without having unnecessary and futile Treatments and some of them, though, some of those treatments can be very painful and raise false hopes. Mm
1: -hmm. And of course, this is when a doctor has given a patient a prognosis of six months of life. Although people certainly get better after they can get better after they go on hospice care and live beyond six months.
0: Right, that's just an estimate that it's given the normal course of the disease that they have that it would be six months or less. And it doesn't have to be exactly that, of course, mm-hmm. and uh, people can make decisions to go back off hospice if they're not comfortable with it, you know, to try treatments again, and there's many different options. Also, hospice doesn't mean that you have to leave your home. You can often stay wherever you are currently living, and it also serves the whole family because the whole family is dealing with this huge impending change that's about to occur and... um there's a whole team out there, social worker and home health aide, sometimes music, music therapists, of course the nurse, and um, sometimes even massage therapists, volunteers, and chaplains.
1: Right, and that, is, that entire team, while the focus is on the patient, you also help the family members.
0: Oh, very much, and there's also bereavement care that goes up to a year after the person has died.
1: Well, and let's talk a little bit about that, because um, you had uh, an interesting section about bereavement, and um, I, I think that's another part of hospice care that people don't realize is available to them, that support after the death of uh, the person. Now, when someone's on hospice, you have anticipatory grief. You know the person is that's going right. to die. Um how, how do you deal with that, help people
0: deal with that? Well, I don't cut it into discrete sections that they cannot talk about it until after the person has died, naturally. So uh, whatever the person, whatever the family member or person is ready to talk about at whatever time in the process, I'm there to, to be there with them and, and hear about it. And, in fact, sometimes so much of the grieving is done in advance that by the time the person dies there's really not that much more grieving left to do, especially in some of the dementia cases where someone hasn't even recognized their family members for a long time. And so when the bereavement team calls and they're like saying, gee, you got to talk to us. We wish you would talk to us. And the family member is saying, well, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I've kind of processed this already. So um, it's really, the whole thing with dementia really has changed the the dynamics of how much grieving is done in advance and what's still left to do. Mm -hmm. So hospice deals with so many complexities like that and that's the quote-unquote beauty of it you know and also I'll say to families when we're when the person has died recently I'll half jokingly say "Well, I'm not gonna drop you like a hot potato I'm here for a whole year afterwards if you ever want to talk with me do very many people take you up on that some I mean others have as I said already processed their Mm -hmm. grief and some already have their own good friends to talk to and don't really care to talk with a stranger but we're a good backup force. And also simply saying that we're there also achieves some things. They feel the comfort of knowing that there's a safety net.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, um, in in your book Encountering the Edge, you talk about going and visiting families of different faiths. Now, right. you come from the background as uh, a rabbi, a, the Jewish faith, yet you're visiting Christian families or atheists or a whole right. range of people with religious belief or non-belief. How how do you deal with that?
0: Well, really, being a chaplain, there's lots of misconceptions about what chaplains are, too, in terms of hospice. They aren't there to promote any particular religion or preach or anything like that. And it's more of a focus on general spirituality rather than a specific religion. So, for example, atheists and everyone are probably concerned about what was their life about, what has it meant, what is their legacy, What is their purpose? So all humanity has these kinds of concerns or they're worried about what their family is dealing with and so on. And again, they set the agenda. I just come in and listen. And I feel like that's what my book does too, that it's providing a safe, sacred space for someone to do their exploration according to their pace and what they wish to choose, even if it's talking about, you know, a Mets game. That's what they want to talk about and they just... No, they're talking to me as a person that's there for the reason i'm there um it accomplishes more than than you might think so the the really the chaplain
1: part of hospice is spiritual care
0: comfort uh for the yes. emotions or right well it's supposed to help lessen spiritual distress mm-hmm. you know it might be feelings of guilt or remorse or confusion about what their life has been about or they want to articulate that and I think as I say leaving a legacy I think is a spiritual issue Mm -hmm. Uh, could be conflicts between family members about what religion they should be a part of or anything to do with any kind of spiritual concern of course it dovetails with emotional concerns and a lot of times I'm dealing with both because sometimes religion can be a cover for purely psychological issues and that's part of what I ferret out as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Do, do the social workers
1: kind of step up in that department? or,
0: or Yes, or sometimes they'll tell me about a patient that has a spiritual concern. So the beauty of the interdisciplinary team is that we all try to offer a holistic uh, approach and let each other know what's going on. For example, I'll let a, pers- a nurse know right away if there's pain, obviously. Mm-hmm. And we have meetings, too. Every two weeks there's what's called an interdisciplinary meeting. Uh, where we discuss each patient, so you get to hear what the nurses' view is and the, you know, social workers' view, et cetera.
1: Mm-hmm. And you did write about that in your book too, and, right? Uh, Some
0: funny, funny stories about that. But anyway,
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to take a, a short break here, and when we come back, we will con- continue our conversation with. Hospice chaplain Karen Kaplan, author of Encountering the Edge, What People Told Me Before They Died. We'll be right back. Find a final resting vessel for your loved one or beloved pet at artisern.com. We offer handcrafted one-of-a-kind urns, jewelry, and keepsakes. Our Memorial Chronicles blog has grief and loss resources that you may find helpful. Visit us at artisern.com. That's a r t i s u r n dot com and honor your loved one or beloved pet.
0: To learn more about advertising on Funeral Radio, please email advertising at funeralradio dot com.
1: Welcome back. We're continuing our conversation with Karen Kaplan, author of Encountering the Edge: What People Told Me Before They Died. Now, Karen, I I have to tell you, I that subtitle I was envisioning these deathbed scenes where people were going to tell you amazing uh, life altering things. And I was kind of disappointed in that regard, but, but you did write about, you know, some of the things that people were telling you. Um, Why don't you share a story or two about what people were telling you before they died? Not necessarily on their deathbed.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, one of the things I think that the book shows people is that usually there is no real dramatic thing. This is not a TV show. And that every part of our life, including towards the end, is a slice of life. And, and like any other slice, you can go into more and more complex layerings of what that person is really thinking about. Um, but one of the kind of kind of funny stories, I guess you might say, half funny, half sad, is there was a gentleman who was 28 years old, and um, he was in a nursing facility. And he really um, was wishing he could have a, a bottle of beer to drink. Um, he was a policeman and enjoyed that beverage very much and um, I couldn't really get that for him because it would involve a special doctor's order and would take time to get it and so on so I thought what could I substitute for that and I thought well I sing I often sing to my patients by the way and sometimes they like that I said you know I can't get you the beer but I could get you um, a song about beer so I sang a few things like in heaven there is no beer, that's why we drink it here. <laughs> so he, he, enjoyed he enjoyed that a is. lot and, and asked for other varieties of songs. And um, he didn't really speak so much about death, but he was very aware that he was deteriorating and kind of young. And he talked at one time how he wanted to have a tattoo with his um, name and some kind of a maybe like a serial number and showing that he was a policeman and so that was the legacy that he wanted to have a kind of a obituary right on his skin and uh, that was a very touching and unusual thing to to hear about and um, he didn't mind whatever pain would have uh, been involved with getting the tattoo unfortunately it couldn't be done at that point but I just thought that was so Interesting about how he felt about himself at that point. What he wanted to communicate. He wanted to communicate in that fashion Right on his body mm. um, to me. That's that's very dramatic and, and deep mm-hmm. But yeah, you're not going to get this. Oh, I confess to all these horrible things. I did and, <laughs> and probably not
1: <laughs> um, Well when um. When you have somebody who is in, like, a nursing facility and, yeah, they have specific diets that they're supposed to follow. Right. I, it's it's so um, rewarding to be able to get them, you know, the contraband. You know, I'd love to have, <laughs> you know, ice cream or, you know. Right. I, what what's it going to do kill them (laughs) yeah it's like why not let them have just a little bit of pleasure while they're still here
0: they usually do that's part of hospice is to provide comfort food Mm -hmm. and not worry so much obviously about vitamins and things like that i often think if i knew i was going to die soon i'd have three brownies every day
1: (laughs) (laughs) chocolate it cures everything that's right that's (laughs) unfortunate so what is the difference between hospice and palliative care
0: well in this country palliative care is a broader term involves any kind of care where you're focusing more on bringing comfort to the patient and diminishing pain but that seems to allow a little bit more of active treatments but even there i mean the emphasis is on this idea of comfort and higher quality of life and there's more of an expectation that you'll be living longer and that you might even not need the palliative care uh, after a while. Whereas hospice, more of the expectation is that this really is, you know, act three, scene three. Mm-hmm. And um, the whole focus is on on that and all the changes that occur, which are very rapid as the patient changes. It, it keeps throwing off the family dynamic and brings up different issues, whether it's emotional, spiritual, and what have you. Um, So it's slightly different, but this is complicated because I think in England there's some different definition about it. But generally in this country, in the United States, um, palliative care could either be a precursor to the more specific hospice care Mm -hmm. um, or or just be by itself palliative care and then the person's finished with it and continues on with a good life.
1: Okay. Uh, You also write about actually doing funerals for, I guess, patients who die and their families. Sure.
0: Mm-hmm. That's right.
1: Um, is that the Chapter 3, Rabbi, You Have a Flat Tire?
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a funny story there. Uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> do you want to share that story? Oh, sure. Um, well, I was parked ready to wait for the rest of the family to arrive at the graveside, and uh, someone drew up next to my car. They rolled down their window with a little bit of delight to to tell a rabbi that something's a little wrong. They said, oh, rabbi, you have a flat tire. So fortunately I was able to kind of get the car over to where the graveside was and and you know I managed it wasn't that flat that the car couldn't go a little while but then right after the funeral was done in full sight of the grave one of the nephews raced over to my car and said I'll help you and he right right then and there changed the tire <laughs> I just thought that was kind of cute that he could focus on that when here he was just burying his beloved family member and here he's whisking out all this equipment to um, fix my flat. <laughs> so somehow that struck me funny.
1: Well, you know, it's uh, there are instrumental grievers and then there are intuitive <laughs> grievers. And That's the, right. <laughs> you know, the the uh, instrumental grievers want to get out and do stuff.
0: <laughs> That's right.
1: Um, what else? Um, when when you're doing a funeral, um, because I always talk about funeral planning issues, I mean, sure. do you help people plan their funerals before they die?
0: Uh, well, I do ask kind of what they would like to have happen at the ceremony. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, if there's a eulogy or not, or whether they'd like me to give one, or if there's anything special they want to see happen as I'm actually leading the service. Um, sometimes there's special requests, but usually they say, just do the standard thing, Rabbi, we don't know. They're too upset to even think about that. But I'll encourage them, like, if they have, say, artwork from the person who has died, say, sure, bring it. Um, Anything to kind of make the experience more meaningful, um, that that's what I I encourage it, kind Mm -hmm. of custom-tailored funeral, so to speak. Mm
1: -hmm. And uh, what else would you like people to know about uh, your book, Encountering the Edge?
0: Well, um, I think that there are many kinds of chapters here. There's one on dementia patients. I know that's a big concern for people. There's a whole chapter on being the singing chaplain. There is a whole chapter on bereavement and kind of things to expect there. I think the unusual part of the book is the last chapter where I imagine that I am on hospice and I'm the nice generous age I've given myself of 91 or 92 and that I have a expert chaplain uh, listening to me and so I, I play out what, what I might be thinking at that point. I look back on my life, what has it meant? What are things that I regret or what what you know, I talked about true things about my family of origin. And um I won't give away the ending. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> you can imagine what the ending is. Uh,
1: We're all gonna die.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Last I heard <laughs> Um I guess the other thing, excuse me, is the other thing I want to emphasize is that unlike many of these kind of books there's no pat answers, there's no per se inspirational message or religious agenda and I think that's one of the attractions of the book for people that are more interested in just generally spiritual approach and not being kind of pushed into any corner and that's what I did as a chaplain provide that safe sacred space without agendas and judgments and let people do their own exploring and growing. It's
1: a very important thing to be able to do and to help people with, and uh, and then the whole idea of putting together a service that's healing. Do you have any kind of like structure to a service that you might um, bring to just about any service you would do?
0: You mean a funeral? Yes. Is that what you mean? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, in Judaism, there is kind of a set structure about certain prayers go in a certain order. And I try to make kind of an emotional arc where you start out kind of generally with psalms and so on. And then as I go on, I get to the more personalized, intimate things. And I suppose the eulogies are kind of the climax of that. And then you wind down with a few other little bit of chants and songs. And then you proceed over to the cemetery if that was done in the chapel. And, of course, the... Um, you have the traditional shoveling in of the dirt, and lots of times the mourners will put in a symbolic shovel full or two. And that's just kind of a quiet winding down, but yet very intense moment. So there is a pattern to them, for mm-hmm, sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, hospice chaplain Karen B. Kaplan, <laughs> author of Encountering the Edge What People Told Me Before They Died, your website is offbeatcompassion.com. And uh, can people get the book there?
0: That's right. Or they could go directly to Amazon. Or they could go directly to the publisher, which is PEN-L Publishing. You can also go Barnes & Noble. You can order at any bookstore.
1: Very good. Well, thanks for joining me on today's show. And I wish you all the best. Hope you live long and prosper.
0: (laughs) Oh, thank you very much. Very nice talking to you today.
1: You've been listening to A Good Goodbye on funeralradio.com. Check out my website, agoodgoodbye.com, for a free planning form so you can pull together everything anyone needs to know before you go. Remember, talking about sex won't make you pregnant. Talking about funerals won't make you dead. Start a conversation today.